0: And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. How many times we've come to even short, simple passages like this, and we behold wonders again and again in them that your word is, is so true, it explains our world, it explains um, ourselves uh, to us, and, uh, and it explains you, and it shows us the character of our God. We ask that you would send your spirit now to open these words to us, um, that uh, you would uh, stir in us a longing to know you, to trust you more. And also that you would take these words and would teach us as a church um, to care for one another and to care for our souls and to care for each other's souls. And so uh, I pray that these words would bear fruit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we are beginning uh, uh, this sermon series this week on um, basically on how do we care for each other's souls. And I, I got this. Named Soul Care, as I think that was coined by Larry Crab, who's kind of a Christian counselor kind of guy, and um, and uh, the idea for the series comes from you know many people that I've talked to in our church. Um, when we come to a, a church context, what many people long for is they want to be in a community where people are pretty honest about what's really happening in their life you know that that churches are kind of notorious for being communities where people put on a show put on a mask and they pretend to have their whole life together and then they go home and maybe their home life's a wreck or their emotional life's a wreck and and no one really knows about it and and it's all kind of playing pretend and so everyone says I want to be in a place where people are honest where they're real and um, but the risk is that uh, if I really let people into what's really happened, maybe what's happened in my life, what is happening in my life, uh, what uh, is maybe uh, shameful or disappointing in my life. Um, what are they gonna do with it? There's a tremendous amount of risk in doing that act of, of, of kind of, of opening ourselves up to people. And it takes some skill to know how to handle someone. When someone comes in, in uh, and opens their life to you, there are certain things. How do I, when someone says something that might be shocking, like, wow, I didn't know you had that going on in your life. How do I not run away? How do I not say, hey, listen, I'll pray for you and let's change the subject? Um, how, do, how, you know, how do I just, you know, not be afraid but actually um, interact with them, engage with them and, and love them? And, um, and actually, and, and I think that we need a biblical perspective to understand how to care for one another's souls. How do we hold each other's souls and love and uh, uh, nourish, nurture each other's souls and actually, you know, I was talking to, uh, uh, when I was, I, I've been announcing this sermon series over the, over the course of the summer, and I've kind of announced it as a lay counseling um, series, you know, that basically, you know, many of the things that counselors do for us in our culture, many people are going to counselors and, and paying quite a lot of money so that, you know, someone basically will listen to us and they, and they ask us questions about our lives and draw out our lives. And so I said, you know, well, why is the church, I mean, so much of what a counselor does, can't we do that for each other? I mean, can't we sit down and listen to each other and and show a curiosity and, and empathy for each other's lives? And actually, I was talking to Randy Williams. Randy Williams is a, a marriage and family therapist in our church. And uh, he uh, and he was saying, and he didn't offer this up, I was just asking him for feedback as I'm entering into this series. And, and he said, you know, I'm not sure counseling is the best word to use for it because Many of us, you know, that's scary to us to think, wow, someone's going to really share their problems with me. I mean, don't I need to be like a trained therapist to know how to do that? And, and there, are, there are things. There are, there are things that, that we have going on in our lives that we need someone who's a professional to be able to, to handle. And, and that's not a bad thing. And as Christians, we should acknowledge that. But on the other hand, there are many things that we can give to each other as a church and care for each other as a church. And, uh, and that's why he, he, he kind of coined that phrase of just caregiving for one another, uh, caring for each other's souls. So I've kind of titled this um, Soul Care is the title of, of this sermon. And it turns out that the Bible's explanation of what happens in our inner lives and the things that we're really struggling with and how relationships and and sin and all these things affect our inner life and how we act and who we are and the peace and contentment that we and the wholeness that we feel in our soul. The Bible has tremendously rich, complex, and nuanced resources for us. And so I want to spend four weeks exploring what are some of those resources. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to say on it, but uh, one of the practices of our church is when I do these... uh, these uh, sermon series in August where we take a topic, what we look at is what is a biblical worldview of this topic. So, you know, two years ago we looked at parenting and what's a biblical worldview of parenting. Last year we looked at marriage. What's a biblical worldview of marriage? Now we're going to look at soul care. And the way that you find out what does the Bible have to say about something is you take the Bible's story. You know, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is a story that tells the story of the world. And it begins, the first part of the story is creation, that God made this world. This is his creative act that we're living in and he made it good. We are living in a world that was made good by God. So that's the first, creation. And then uh, the fall, that the reason that The world seems like it's not the way it's supposed to be is because humans have been in rebellion against god we've rejected god and we said we i don't want you in my life and so because of that we have wars we hurt one another and uh, we're cruel to each other we're self-centered all these things come because we're in rebellion against god the third stage of the story is that god sends his son jesus as a redeemer and redeems a people to himself and reconciles the people to himself and then the end of the story is that when god comes again he'll make all things right and good in the world again so the world is going towards a good ending where God will make all things right so there's four parts of the story creation fall redemption and restoration and what we're going to do is each of these four weeks we're going to look at each element of that story creation we're looking at today next week the fall the week after we're going to look at uh, redemption and the fourth week we're going to look at restoration what do each of these elements teach us about how to care for each other's souls and I think we're going to find out they say quite a lot so, um, so this week, we're starting with creation, um, and asking this question, what does the creation story tell us about what it means to be human? What does it mean to be human? Because if we're going to care for each other's souls, you know, when we say, my, my life just doesn't work right, my heart, my soul doesn't work right, my, my, my mind, my relationships don't work right, what is a human for? What, what am I supposed to be? And so we go to the beginning and say, what did God make us for? And uh, this morning we're going to look at five things that this little passage, these little six verses in Genesis, tell us about what a human is, what a human is for, okay? Five things, and the first is this, five qualities of what it means to be a thriving, whole human. The first is this, a human is formed by God. A human is someone who is formed by God. And now you see this here in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man. So, as God is forming, Uh, you know, and we see in chapter two when he actually makes a human, it it describes God as taking, you know, the clay out of the ground and the dirt out of the ground. He forms it with his hands as like a potter and, you know, making this vessel. And actually, this, 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 uh, the language that's being used here where it's talking about, uh, let us make man in our image. In the ancient Near East, uh, you know, you had, you know, in in, uh, all through Palestine and in, uh, In Asia and North Africa there were all these kingdoms sprinkled throughout the land and you'd have these kings in these kingdoms and what they would do is they'd make these images these statues and they'd kind of sprinkle them on the borderlands of their kingdom and basically these images marked out to people if you're coming into their territory they'd see the image and say oh this this belongs to that king because there's his image and God is basically saying here okay listen where's my land where's my kingdom it's the whole earth and what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a statue of me, but um, in order for God to make a statue of himself, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a piece of rock. It's these living flesh and blood, breathing, thinking, creative uh, statues that are walking around, relating to each other, making families, loving each other. And hes I'm going to cover the earth with them. And I'm going to mark out the whole earth that this is, this is my land. The earth is my land. And so what we are is we're like these statues that God is, God is making. And uh, that he is made in his own image. It's like God is this potter and we're the clay. And he forms us to be like him. We're like artwork to him. And so one of the first things that the Bible says, this is a tremendous statement of human dignity. Um, you know, one of the things that's important to know as we go through this and we think about how we care, understand what a human is and how do we care for each other and what makes my life whole, is that the first thing that's true about us as humans is not that we're sinners. That's true. That's the second truth. <laughs> the first truth is that we've been made in the image of God. We have made, been made after his likeness. We're like statues of him. We're his self-portrait. You imagine an artist doing a self-portrait. How much care does he pour out his soul? Into, I want to get my self-portrait right. Okay, I don't want to mess this one up. And that's how God is. That's his concern. His, and the dignity that we have for every human being is that we're made in the image of God. And that we're his artwork. And we're this self-portrait. And what that means is that, um, that God's interaction with us is that God presses into us. He's forming us. He's shaping. He's changing. And that what our life is, and um, that God has this sovereign role over everything that happens in our life, this sovereign role where he's shaping us, and the sovereignty that, that a potter has over clay, where he presses into it. he does what he wants uh, with it. I, you know, I was just thinking about this recently, as, as I think of, of my own life, and, you know, God calling me to be a pastor. You know, I went to seminary, which was kind of, you know, my three years of training. I learned about the Bible and theology and preaching and all these things, about the church. And, but, you know, so much of, of how did this preparation come to, to, for the calling um, the, of who God is calling me to be? That didn't start in seminary. That was all of my life. And even, you know, when I was a punk kid, I'm on drugs and I'm disgracing my parents. I'm dropping out of school. And um, all these things, the relationships, even, even the, the, the hurtful relationships that I had uh, growing up and things that, uh, that, that were wounding to me, all of these things, it turns out God was using them to form and to shape who I was. And he has this sovereign oversight over, over what my life is. And so all of that was training. I needed all of that if you're going to be a pastor. You can't just go to seminary. You need to be human. You need to be shaped by God. And that's true for all of us. Our calling as Christians is for God to shape and work in us. And, um, And so as we learn to understand our own life, our own souls, and the souls of other people, we have to have this interpretive lens that there's someone that God is forming and shaping. God is doing something in them. And everything that happens in their life is a part of that storyline that he is doing in their life. Now, you have to be careful with that, right? You know, if someone comes and they share something that's that's uh, painful, um, that's maybe shameful, and if we kind of just tritely throw out, well, God's working all things for your good, you know? He's shaping you. He's using it to form you. He's the potter. You're the clay. You know, that they're going to see you don't really know the pain that I'm experiencing. They're, and that's, gonna, that's not going to draw them close to you, okay? But at the same time, as we learn to counsel each other and care for each other's souls, so much of that process is learning to draw out the story of what God is doing in a person's life. Drawing it out, hearing it, asking of it. And, and, and this is the lens that we understand is that God is somewhere in here. And even in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sorrows, every good story has sorrow, has tragedy, and yet also has redemption and has victory in it. And so what soul care is, a big part of that is learning to draw out each other's stories, showing a fascination that every person that you meet in this room is made in the image of God. Their life is reflecting his glory and showing who he is and to have a curiosity about who we are, okay? And um, so the first thing, uh, what does it mean to be human is you are someone who is being formed by God, formed into his image, okay? Okay? is made in his image and is being formed to be in his image. But the second thing that we see in this passage of what it means to be human is that a human is blessed by God. A human is, the human is Fundamental to the human experience is the experience of being blessed by God. And you see that here in verse 28. You know, it says God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created him. And then verse 28, and he blessed them just that short statement, God bless them. And then you see in verse 29, and God said, behold, I, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And so, you know, the vision that, that, that Genesis is giving of the world is basically, it's like this vast house that God's made us to live in, and all the like vegetables and the spices and the grapefruits and everything there he's just it's like this giant pantry and he says i want you to go and live in the world and i want you to taste all the delightful things of my creation i want you to enjoy them all i want to bless you you're supposed to actually physical um enjoyment and pleasure is a fundamental thing of of what it means uh to be human and um is to be enchanted by god's blessings and, and to receive God's blessings and goodness and to have a thankful heart towards them. And this is fundamentally what it means to be, to be human. And, um, and, you know, our culture breeds a, a sense of ingratitude. Our culture is hammering us, you don't have enough. You don't have enough. You need more. You need better. You need to be better and it, it 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 fills us with this uh di, we're di, we're not content with what we have and we're not content with this the, the many blessings that God has charged his world with you know i was just uh a couple of weeks ago i was swimming I, I was by myself for uh i i think we we're at someone's house swimming in in lake Whatcom, and one of my favorite things to do is i lie on my back and just kind of float in the lake and you know i think people see me doing it and they're like, what's a guy just lying there and not doing anything? But, you know, being in the water and you're like, I'm in this giant bowl of water and I have this body and my legs and arms are floating and and you look down and it's all dark and you can't see the bottom and all the nerves on my feet and all over my skin are touching water. And then, you know, the sound over your ears, it's like, you can hear your breathing. And then I'm looking up and there's this huge blue sky and I I was like, I can't believe I get to do this. <laughs> like, I get to really like. I, what am I? I'm this strange being that's like floating in water. And you know, I like. I and you know, I have a fairly blessed life. You know, I have a family. I have a home. I get to live in Bellingham. I get to be a pastor. But then I, I was just thinking about this little thing, and I was like, just the fact that I get to do this is you know, worth being alive for. I mean, it's it's a fascination that we are living in an odd world that's charged with all kinds of beauties and wonders and and delightful things. And uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton, who's a favorite author, his book, Orthodoxy, I've probably mentioned many times, you know, my favorite book outside of the Bible. And he's got this great chapter in there. Orthodoxy is basically Chesterton's, um, uh, you know, testimony, how he came to faith and why he believes in God and believes in, in Christ and the Bible. And uh, this one chapter is called The Ethics of Elfland. And what he does, and his belief is basically we're living in a fairy world. And that we forget that we're living in, you know, you're living in an odd world. You have a nose and ears and things, and you are strange. You have eyeballs. And there are rhinoceroses in this world. And there are snakes and things. I mean, if, if you didn't live here, you would think this was a made-up world. If you didn't live here, you're just used to it. And there's blue whales and things. And, and he says, we are living in a, in, in a fairy world. And when we remember that, that this is a mythological world. You know, are there mythological worlds? Yes, you're living in one. And you're one of the characters in this mythological world. And he says, we need to see that it's just charged with blessing. And he says that to live in a fairy world like you're living is good. Even if there are many evils in it, in in, in this quote, on uh, uh, page three of your bulletin, I put a quote from Orthodoxy, and this is what he says My strongest emotion was that life was as precious as it was puzzling. Listen to that again. My strongest emotion was that life was as precious as it was puzzling. It was an ecstasy because it wasn't an adventure, it was an adventure because it was an opportunity. The goodness of the fairy tale was not affected by the fact that there, might, uh, that there might be more dragons than princesses. It was good to be in a fairy tale. Even if, even if our world is full of dragons, disappointments, it is good to be alive in this world. And he says this, The test of all happiness is gratitude, and I felt grateful, though I hardly knew to whom. And the thing about this is the pleasures of the world, the blessings of living in God's world, your pleasures, even your physical pleasures or your body are portals into the kindness of God enjoying pleasures we're supposed to enjoy pleasures and find out that god really wants good things for us he, he's a good father he pours good gifts he wants us to enjoy things and he wants us to to respond you know to tastes and smells and you know thrills when we're riding a mountain bike or, you know or music and all these things he wants us to respond to these and, you know, we say grace before we say a meal. You know, Chesterton says we should be saying grace before dancing and before swimming and before, you know, r- r- walking in a f- forest or something. Everywhere should be filled with grace because we saying grace because that's what the human life is, is, is experiencing God's blessing and then giving, giving, him, uh, giving him thanks. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, what does this have to do with soul care? Caring for each other's souls you know, kind of counseling each other. What does this have to do with it? Well, I'll tell you, one of the biggest things as a pastor is I've counseled, you know, people over the last four years. One of the, the, um, the best things I can do for them is to just show them where God's blessing is in their life. And then, you know, there's a trite way to do that. Um, but actually, many people say, you know, things are always going to go bad. My life is always, uh, things always turn out bad. But actually to show them, look, look at you said all these things were going to turn out bad, and look at what actually happened. Look at all these things. Look at these prayers that God did answer. That you said it would never be good, and it turned out it wasn't half as bad as you said it was going to be. God is pouring blessings on us all the time, and one of the reasons that this is important is we care about each other's souls. And this is really important. I know I'm saying a lot, but hear this point: desires and pleasures are an important topic as we uh, as we think about our souls because it's in the category of desires and pleasures that our deepest shame and our deepest disappointments happen. It is in the category of desires and pleasures that our deepest shame and our deepest disappointments happen. And so to think deeply that actually God wants blessings and pleasure for us. Because for many of us, you know, we look at our pleasures and say, my, ple- my, my desires are wildly out of control. I, they, I desire things that I, I, don't, I know God doesn't want me to have those things. And so we begin to hate our desires. I wish I didn't have desires. My body has desires. I, I hate my body for that. Because my body wants all these things that, that I don't want it to want. And then also, you know, oftentimes we have desires for intimacy with people. We desire to be close to people. And, and the biggest wounds that happened in our life was when we wanted to be close to someone and they used that vulnerability to take advantage of us. And then we say, you know what, I don't want to desire intimacy anymore. I don't I wish I didn't even want people I wish I didn't even want desires and we deaden desire in us We deaden it and yet the tragedy of that is that to be fully alive Is to be full of desires full of wonder full of asking God for possibilities and and to not hate our desires and At the heart of this is as we become whole becoming whole again means learning to receive the blessings of God And to really believe that God actually does want to bless me. He wants good things. This doesn't mean God wants to make you rich and he wants to get you a Mercedes. That's not what I'm talking about. You know that's not what I'm talking about. He wants good things. He wants joy in your life. Now, a part of the reason also why we don't allow ourselves to have desire is um, that we say, why would God want to bless me? I don't deserve it. And this is the third thing about what it means to be human. It's not just that we're formed by God, and not just that we're blessed by God. To be fully alive is that we're blessed by God. But third, also that we be approved by God. To be whole, to be human, you must have the experience of God's approval on your life. His delight, His pleasure in you. And you see, um, you see this in Genesis one. You know, Genesis 1, if you know the rest of the chapter... He was talking about God making the world in six days. I'm not going to get into that whole discussion here. But, um, but at the end of each, you know, I think most of the days, he, uh, God looks at all the things he made and he said it was good. And, uh, and he says the things I'm making, the earth I'm making, the birds and the fish I'm making, they're good. And he, he takes delight in them. He th- makes this evaluation. And then on the sixth day, the sixth day is when God makes humanity, makes his image bearers to live. He makes us. His evaluation changes. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, now that the image bearers were there, too, filling the earth with his presence. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He looked on humanity with pleasure, with approval. And, uh, you know, just this this last week, I was uh, on Orcas Island. Daniel and I went to Orcas Island for a couple days to talk about the church, and uh, we went on this little, probably, half-hour boat tour up the west side of Orcas Island, and, you know, there were all these seals and things, and we went up to the seals, and there was a baby seal on the rock, and flopping around, little head, and their little brothers and sisters all, and we're just like, oh, isn't this cool, but, and you think, God, you know, God's looking at that. God, there's all kinds of seals all over that we're not even watching, that God's watching all the time. He's watching the birds, and he takes delight in them, and we feel that delight with him, and we share that, and what Genesis says is that's, that's only like a half delight compared to what Uh, God's delight is supposed to be with humans. What wholeness of human life looks like is that he looks at us and says, those are good, the seals are good. But humanity, my image, bears in, in flesh and blood, breathing statues that are walking around creating things and loving each other in relationship. That is very good. That is pleasure. That is delight. And uh, what that means is that, you know, being human, there's these two sides. Of we receive blessing from God, we enjoy what God gives us, and then he enjoys us as well. And he has to delight in us. And uh, whether, you, uh, whether you want it or not, your soul knows that it was made to be evaluated by God. That's what we have in, in Genesis right here, is God making an evaluation of humans. And we want we need to be evaluated Um, and uh, we know that and you know actually another story this week I just bought a I shouldn't call it a new car it's an old car that I just bought and uh, I you know I wanted to buy an old car that will just get me around town and you know nothing fancy or special and I've been talking to Art, Art's one of the uh, elders here and he's, you know, how to go on Craigslist, what to look for. I was going to get a Subaru in these years. And he's taking me through this. is When you look at the car, these are the things you're looking for. Carfax, that do all this stuff. And I was like, all right, all right. And we spent, I, we spent a lot of time on this. Fine, you know, I'm looking at cars for several days. And I finally go to this car. And it's out in Ferndale. And I go to this guy's house. And, you know, I'm pretty much the first car I look at. I'll buy it. I'll take it, <laughs> you know. I'm driving away, check engine light is on. You know, it smells like a wet dog and there's dog hair everywhere and it you know, doesn't steer straight. And I'm, I'm not a hundred yards from this house and my mind is just torn with you are such an idiot. You are a fool. Like you, this is the first car, you didn't, you didn't even do any of the stuff I told you to do and what are you gonna say to him when you show him the car? He's like, this is what you got. And and actually, I kind of like the car. But, you know, but I'll tell you, it took about three, that was about three days of being torn up of you are such a fool. And what that says is the evaluation of my life, even on something so small as buying this, this, you know, used 1992 Subaru car, even something as small as that, the evaluation of my life has not been resolved. It has not been resolved. Am I approved? And actually, my, uh, Uh, Mike Kelly is a pastor down in Seattle. I texted him. and said, yeah, I think I just bought a lemon. And he texted me back. He said, yeah, but God loves lemon buyers too. (laughs) So I said, all right, good. There's hope. There's hope for me. God loves. And, uh, but so much of what drives us in our relationships and our careers is we're longing for this sense of approval, this sense of an evaluation to happen on our lives. And your, your soul is not whole until you know that the evaluation of God on your life is that he takes delight in you. He takes pleasure in who you are that you would know that deep down. And of course, I just, let me just take a minute here to say that this is the essence of what Christians believe. Christians' belief is that we need that evaluation to be whole. And yet, uh, we do many things that, um, that threaten that evaluation. We're sinners. We don't deserve God's approval. And yet Jesus has come and he's taken all our shame on the cross. He's taken the punishment for every wrong thing we've done. And he's given us his approval so that when we believe in Jesus, we have God's delight. And that's why we say, everyone, you need to believe in Jesus because you need God's approval. And the only way to get God's approval is through Christ. And so um, here's, so far, you look at these three things. Sorry, I I think this is going to be a little longer sermon here. I'm only three-fifths, okay? So, uh, So, but you look at these three things here. So far, I mean, look at how rich, just in these six verses of what it has, tells us about our souls, that we're formed by God and he's the sovereign potter and our life's a story. And that we, our pleasures are, are an integral part of what it means to be human. And yet to be approved by God, to give pleasure back to God, is an integral part of what it means to be human. And so much right here already we have uh, that, that will inform how do we care for each other's souls. And, um, and I just want to tell you this, that if you're here, if you're, if you're not a Christian... And you feel that your soul is kind of um, uh, splintered. It it doesn't feel like it works right. Your life doesn't feel like it works right. There are many things that you can kind of do to help your life. You know, you can get in shape. You know, you can set some goals for your life. You can get new friends, new relationships. These are all good things. But unless you deal with your relationship with God and these things that are fundamental to your soul, it's just all those things are just like putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm. You're not getting deep enough. You were, you know, as Augustine says, his famous Augustine quote: "You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our souls are restless until they find a rest in God." But this is this is how nuanced. This is how complex. Rich, the Bible is. Because you expect the Bible to say, okay, you got problems. You're, you feel discontent. You don't feel peace in your heart. You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need a relationship with God. And the Bible said, yes, you need all that. But that's not enough. <laughs> because the fourth thing about being human is not just that you're formed by God, blessed by God, approved by God, but also connected by God. And by that, I mean connected to other people. You need relationship. You need connection. God's, it's not, you don't just need a relationship with God, you need a relationship with people. And you see that in, in what it means to be human, right? Verse 26, look at this again. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. All of a sudden, God's talking about himself as an us. So, you know, which there's this kind of plurality to God, and we find out later in the Bible that God is actually a community. The one God, we believe in one God, is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that God is relationship. And that if we're going to really be made in the image of God, we need relationship. And that's why he says he made them, uh, uh, he made them after his image. Uh, uh, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then we find out in chapter 2 that God says, looks, you know, he's saying all this stuff is good in Genesis 1, then he gets to Genesis 2 and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. To be human, we need relationship. It's not enough to just have the spiritual life. We need this this life. We need relationships with each other. We need, peop- we need people in our lives. Being human is not something that just you and God do. It is something that we do together as a community. And, um, you know, it's an amazing thing that our culture doesn't get. Because our culture, you know, my generation, we grew up saying, listen, don't let anyone tell you who you are. You are your own person. Dig inside. You know, find out who you are. And, and, and uh, Become, shape your own person. You create your own destiny and your own reality. And of course, that's an experiment that no civilization in the history of the world has ever tried to have an individual define themselves without anyone else's help. I mean, no one else's, every other, you know, and there's benefits to that, you know. There's benefits that I'm not suffocated by my family's expectations and my extended family and that i got to stay in my tribe and do exactly what my dad did. But there's this huge burden of, I need to define myself. I need to define my whole life. And many people in my generation say, you know, we had all that freedom to define ourselves, and I don't have a clue who I am. And the reason for that is because we're not supposed to define ourselves. We're supposed to be defined by God, and we're supposed to be defined in relationship with other people. Those relationships define who we are. They define our soul. And, you know, many people in our culture, that's why when they talk about spirituality, they say, you know, I, I don't believe in organized religion. I believe spirituality is a personal matter with me and God. And, and you say... Could it really be that way? I mean, if God revealed himself, the truth of the world, he's really bringing love into the world, that it's just going to look like me meditating by myself? No way! If God acts in the world, he's going to form a family. He's going to form a community. He's going to bring people together, and that's exactly what Jesus did. That's all institutional religion is, or organized religion, is just God making a family. A family is an institution. And of course he's going to do that. He's going to have people loving each other and in relationship and deep because that's, how, that's who God is. Um, and Jesus says that human life is all about relationship. You know, there's two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Love, which requires two people, requires more than just you. Love is what it means to be human. And what that means is, we think of caring for each other's souls and, and counseling, and, and all the, the, the turmoil that we have in our lives. And how is my life going to become whole? Um, you know, many of us come from deeply broken relationships. We come from families where we were we were uh, spoken to cruelly, or we were we were not given attention, or we were um, taken advantage of. And you know, the burden to say, "I got to." I, you know, maybe I grew up for 18 years in just a, in an impressive, hurtful home, and now i got to weed through all that and figure all that out myself. You know, all those people did those things to me, and then now I just, I'm on my own, and i gotta, I got to mend it all together, and God says, no. I'm going to put you in a family. So many counselors find out, you know, they're counseling people, they're counseling them for, for months and months, and they say, man, you've just been beat up your whole life. You know, at the end of the counseling, you know what they realize? Like, this is Christian counselors. at least They say, you know what you need? You need a church. You need a new family. You had a family that beat you up. You need a new family who's not going to beat you up, who's going to love you, who's going to care for you. And that's what he has here. And, of course, that puts a big responsibility on us to be a different kind of family, to love each other. But we were made to be connected, to be connected by God to other people. We need a relationship. And let me just tell you, when we're in a church like this and you're in a home group or you're having coffee with someone, And they do open up what's happening in their real life. Things maybe they never told anyone, and they're telling it to you. And when you hear those things and you don't, you know, just try to fix it and just say, Oh, well, it's probably this or everything will work out. Or you don't just say, Hey, I'll pray for you and try to end the conversation. But you stay there and you hear those things and you hold those truths. And and you love that person and you feel the things that they're feeling. Right there on the spot. You're not helping them to become more human. They're becoming more human on the spot. You're becoming fully human. Your humanness is coming alive on the spot because that's what we're made for. And that's God's vision for what this community, what Jesus is bringing us together in a church. That's what he's, what, what he's doing. So, okay, here. This is a lot. I'm only four out of five. Sorry. Okay. Uh, all right. To be human is you're formed by God, you're blessed by God, and then you bless God back. You're approved by God. He delights in you, but also you're connected by God. But there's one last thing, and I'll I'll try to to, go through this quickly, is there's also an element of being human that you must be sent by God. You must be sent. You have to have a mission. You have to do something. And uh, you see that, you know, Genesis 1 says, uh, you know, that we're made in the image of God, and then verse 28, you have this, uh, it says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves in the earth. And kind of just, you know, a brief thing of what, you know, what the Bible says humanity is, is that God gave us the earth, and basically we're supposed to take the earth and then form something out of it and offer it back to God. And actually, actually what we're supposed to be offering back to him, this is a little rabbit trail, maybe I don't have time for a rabbit trail, but uh, the, uh, is, is that we're basically making a house for God. He says, here's our earth. I want you to make it into a house. And then the end of the Bible says that God God comes and he dwells with us and he floods the creation in the universe with his presence. And so we're supposed to... That's what city building and culture making, everything we do is we're forming the earth in something, into something to offer back to God. And that we become like these sub-creators. He's a creator and we're sub-creators that do something with the earth. And um, and, and that's a big part is we counsel each other. And as you, as we hear each other talking about gosh you know my my life doesn't work right what's what's wrong why doesn't my life work right part of being human is that we have to do something with our bodies and there is something to you know it may be that our counsel to one another is not just spiritual things but it might be you know maybe it might be good to work out or it might be good to get a new job or it might be good to, you know, use your gifts in the church somehow. These, these might be things that, that you need to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm using the gifts that God has given me to serve him. And that's, that's a very valid thing that the Bible says. It's not just spiritual answers. It's not just relational answers. But it's also this kind of vocational calling answers that I need to do something that makes my life whole. You know, if you're, you know, I know as a guy, it's like just mowing the lawn. I'm like... This is my little kingdom here, and I mowed the lawn, and I feel good, you know? And It's like, wow, great work, Nate, but I don't know. And my, whole, my soul feels whole. I feel human. I feel like I'm, I'm what I'm supposed to be. And so it's all these things that we come together. Um, this little passage of Scripture, you see what it says, this rich, complex vision of what it means to be human. And not one of these is the answer to what makes our, our, our souls whole. And so let me say this. Where can I get this kind of life? Formed by God, blessed by God, enjoying his blessings, and then and a blessing back to God, and in relationship with others, and having a sense of mission that I'm, that I'm doing God's calling in my life. And most of us, we listen, gosh, that whole package sounds like flourishing, thriving. I want that. Where do I get that? Well, the answer is that you get that from the only person who's ever done it. And that's what Jesus is. The Bible says that we're made after the image of God, but Jesus is the image of God itself. Jesus is true humanity. He's, he is what we are meant to be, and he wants to share his life with us. And so it says, you know, that in Jesus we're being formed into the image of his son when we become a Christian, when we, when we put our trust in him. And that, um, and that God blesses us. If, if he didn't even spare his own son, but gave him, out, him, him up for us, how will he not give us all things? God wants to bless us in Christ. We, in Christ we have all the spiritual blessings. That's what Ephesians says, all the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places. And, um, and that we have Jesus' approval. Jesus, God looks at Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he shares that approval with us. And then he gives us a family. He gives us a community. And he sends us to be his missionaries and to serve with him in the world. To become truly human, you must know the true human. And that's Jesus. And we become truly human when we decide to follow him and answer his call. Let's pray together. Our Lord, how rich your word is. Just these six verses. And what a vision you have Of life for us. We long uh, to have this uh, abundance of life that you first intended for us and Lord even even though we know we'll never have it completely in this life and not until you come and make all things right we pray that we could you could make us whole even now and I pray that this church would be a place where we could open our lives to one another and that when we open our lives to one another, you would restore our humanity. And that we could um, delight in your blessings and live a life of gratitude before you. And that we could be sent into the world and serve you. We thank you for the truth of your word. And We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.